This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I showed up in the Holy Land and what it basically happened was I got a free ticket to come to Israel and I was at a university campus called UCSB. It stands for... Yeah, you can study buzzed. And I was surfing six to eight hours, six to eight hours a day for 12 years at the time. Um, I'd hit like top level of elite surfing. I was also mountain biking around the world. And my father was paying for the whole thing because he was manufacturing surfwear. And he was basically living vicariously through his, you know, highly athletic son. And when I got to... When I got to, when I, when I was in Santa Barbara, I actually became celibate. I was an atheist celibate monk. And the reason that happened was because I realized that in the middle of the Gulf War, where everyone was protesting it, and I was one of the main heads of the protest against the U.S. involvement in the Iraq war, that here it was saying, love, you know, make love, not war. Love, 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 love. But meanwhile, I was, I was developing tombstones in my backyard because every person who had ever given me her heart when in the end it didn't come with commitment there was no insurance policy every person who had ever given my heart had their heart broken everyone who had given me their heart had their heart broken now I was a full I'm a full on atheist you know I was a full on atheist long hair I weighed about 20 more pounds just in muscles I had no fat and I'm surfing all around the world, still playing guitar on stage, and raised, you know, in, the, in a mansion in West LA. Now I'm living in Santa Barbara, protesting the Gulf War, covering myself with ketchup, and laying on the, in the middle of the campus quad. And at that point, midway through that year, I decided that I'm a. I realized I'm a hypocrite. And I made a decision that the next person who gives me her heart will be with an insurance policy on her finger. On her finger, I'm not breaking anybody else's heart. I'm talking about a wedding band. A wedding band that means I'm not going anywhere. And I spent the whole next half of that year in Santa Barbara exactly like that continue protesting the war I wound up in Jerusalem and the, three days into my visit in Jerusalem they didn't serve food on Friday and we were given a little note with address where to go and I walked across the Jewish quarter in the old city to find that address I was starving I had not eaten since the previous night and I can't wait to have Shabbos dinner and I'm banging on this door and no one's answering and I'm banging on the door and I'm sure I got the door right and finally this lady opens up the door and she's wearing like a sock on her head which I later found out is called a snood and and she um, 
She's like, what do you want? And I was like, I want dinner. Like, I was told that I'm eating dinner here. She's like, no. You go to the hotel, find my husband, you pray at the hotel, and then you come back up to the Jewish quarter and to our house for dinner. And I'm like, all right. But when she opened her door, I reached out my hand and I said, hi, I'm Johnny Glazer. And she went like this. So before I left for the hotel, I asked her, tell me, when I reached out my hand to you, why didn't you take my hand? And she says, men and women don't touch each other in Judaism, and it keeps things a lot clearer, and nobody gets hurt. And I was like, you got it, lady. And so here I was on this trip, scholarship trip to Israel with these 30 Ivy League kids. They're all like serious scholars. And then me, Sigmund the Sea Monster. But I was already, I was already not touching anyone. And the next, the next woman whose hand I held was my wife. Three years later. Three years later. Now, I just want to finish... On the ninth day, I was leaving a building in the old city, and I was in a course that actually took the word God out of the Torah, and it took the word Torah out of the Torah, and they just called it a document, an author, and, and the question was, could a human being have authored the document? Meaning, let's get rid of the religious aspects and just call it a document, because it is a document, even if you're a non-believer, it's a document. And documents have authors. And so what if we just put it through the test and see if it could have been written by a human being? Could it have been written by a human being? That's all. And it turned out that at the very last class, the very last class just was like, this thing couldn't have been written by a human being. And it was specifically the ten names of Haman's sons, which had little letters on three of the names... And those little letters on those three names turned out to be the date of the Nuremberg trials where 10 Nazis were hung 2,500 years later. And the last Nazi that was hung, as he was put on the gallows and right before they hung him, he screamed out to the audience. This was not Purim, by the way. He screamed out to the witnesses. He screamed out, Purim Fest. 1946. He makes a reference to Purim, the 10th Nazi. It's a Newsweek article. You can find it on Microfish in Hebrew University. The actual dates of the Nuremberg trials are encoded in the book of Esther. Megillah to Esther. Megillah means to reveal. Esther means hidden. In the book of the Revelation of the Hidden is the actual date of the Nuremberg trials. They're very important today because we're going to be trying those Hamas people based on the Nuremberg trials, meaning it was the first time in world history where you can't say you were following orders. 
where wrong is wrong. Evil is evil. It doesn't matter if you were told to do it. Nuremberg trials are one of the most important historical facts ever where wrong was solidified as a legal reality. Never had been before. And it was just put in the news right now. I just saw it in the news in every news station where Israel's planning on trying the Hamas attackers based on the Nuremberg uh, uh, precedents. I walked out of that room. By the way, that was the end of three long days of the document and the author being shown over and over again that a human being could never, ever have known this stuff. I walked out of that place and I was tripping. I was just tripping. I was just walking and I realized someone's following me and I turn around and I see it's a dog. And I'm like, I've seen cats in the old city, never stray dogs. And the dog is following me all around the Jewish quarter. I'm like trying to lose it. I can't lose it. I go to the pay phones. I call my parents. I say, Mom and Dad, don't send my surfboards to Europe. I'm staying. This is it. I'm home. My parents are like, what? Don't forget how I was raised. By the way, they flew to Israel to get me out. And they wound up staying themselves. While Dustin Hoffman rented their house for half a year. In the end, he bought their house. Yeah, I grew up in a giant mansion in L.A. My parents wound up staying themselves to study. They heard the same class about the Nuremberg trials from McGill out Esther. I get out of the phones where I called my parents, and I'm on my way to dinner in the old city at the dining room. The dog's following me. 45 minutes, I walk out of the dining room, and the dog is still standing there waiting for me and follows me around the old city. I finally get to a staircase, and I'm sitting. I decide I'm going to sit down and confront the dog. So I sit on the staircase, and the dog sits on the street, and we're both like staring at each other. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, what do I say to it? And all of a sudden, I realize way up the street is this lady walking down the street. She was part of the 30 Ivy League kids. And she had like this kind of trippy hair. And she was kind of like Medusa. And she was walking like really tripped out like this. And when she finally got to me, I realized that she was crying. And... And she, I look at her like, and she stops right next to me and she says, it's true, isn't it? Meaning the Torah. It's true, isn't it? And I look at her and I'm like, it's true. And then she screams. She goes, bah! staring down. So I look down at the dog. The dog has gone in full convulsions and is craning its neck out towards me and is shaking like the whole body is shaking. What? She's screaming. I started screaming. I'm like, bah. and then, and then suddenly I realize I have this incredible epiphany that this dog, me, these stairs, this girl, the walls, the sky are all in illusion. That all there really is, that all, all there really is, is God. And then I realized what dog is spelled backwards. And the, and the dog, 
And the dog stops shaking. The dog stops shaking and just runs away. I never saw this dog again. Okay. One more thing. One more thing. I know you guys, you guys, we were supposed to go till eight and it's after eight, but one more thing. One of my students, I've had a lot of students over the years. One of my students, whenever you drink alcohol, he would become a dog. Not, re- not related. Not related. What I mean by that, he would become, he would become a, he would become a dog and he would become a dog and start biting people. I paid hospital bills. I literally paid hospital bills for this guy. And he paid me back, by the way, when he was sober. He would become a dog when he would be drunk. Now, I have a newspaper article where he was in Sfat, dressed as a dog on Purim. He'd gotten thrown out of the Rebbe's house of Sfat. And he's walking down the, the Midrachov. He's walking down the Midrachov, biting people until the police finally got him and put him in the can overnight to sober up. He was on he was on all kinds of antidepressants and stuff, and he wound up flying to visit his mother, who was dying in New York. His sister, who was close to us as well, his sister called me the next day. She said, uh, "My mother." Shh. His sister called the next day. She said her mother passed away, and I said, "I'm so sorry. I know, I know that Yoshua flew to be with you." And she says, "Yeah, except Yoshua's also dead. He died that night." Just going. All he did was go to say goodbye to his mother, and he didn't wake up the next day. He did not commit suicide. It was a reaction. He couldn't sleep. He took a sleeping pill. Made the mistake of taking another one. It reacted with his medicine, and he was and he was dead. Nine months later. Nine months later, I'm at my Shabbos table, third meal. Shabbos is going to be out in 15 minutes. I have about 40 people in my house. We're all singing away. My wife comes up to me and she says, there's some freaked out lady at the door holding a dying dog. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Tell her to go away. You know, like what? You know, she's like, she, she needs, you need to come to the door. So I get up, a bunch of people are singing in there. I, I come to the door. There's this like Scandinavian lady, like six foot blonde lady, holding, holding a dying dog. And you ready for this? The dog has no hair. It's got people skin. This was hairless dog, big hairless dog, and it's it's like breathing its last breaths because she said she said that she saw it run across the street, get hit by a car on Batsalo, and she scooped up the dog, went up to neighbors and said, "What do we do?" They're like, "Bring it to the Glazers. We're the Glazers. Bring it to the Glazers." So, when in doubt, bring dying dogs to us. 
So I tell the lady, she says, we got to call the animal protection agency to come put the dog to sleep. I said, listen, we're not breaking Shabbos for the dog, but the good news is, is Shabbos is out in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, we call the animal protection people. And she's like, okay, where should I go? There's no room in my house. And, you know, it's packed. And I'm like, why don't you hold the dog on these steps across from my door? Neighbor's steps. We finish the meal. We go to pray. My wife called animal protection. They came. They put the dog to sleep. Saturday night, I brought my wife to a bar mitzvah. And it was just somewhere she had to say mazel tov. I didn't go in. I'm chilling in my car. All of a sudden, a guy named A.Y. Katzoff, who's the place where Yoshua stays when he visits Jerusalem. This is nine months after Yoshua's death. A.Y. comes running up to my window. He says, I was just sitting in my car while my wife was saying mazel tov. And I saw you. He came to my window and he says, after he ate Shabbos lunch, he was, he was sleeping. And he has this crazy vivid dream that Yoshua came back as a dog. He was reincarnated as a dog. And I'm t- he says to me, I'm telling you, Yom Tov, it was the freakiest dog you ever saw. He was all skin with a round patch of hair on its stomach. And he says, Yoshua was begging me. He says, when a human soul's in an animal, it's t- torture. Human souls are for human bodies, not animals. Find me. I'm in Jerusalem. Find me and kill me. That's what he told him. So in the dream, he's like, okay, I'll find you and kill you. Meanwhile, I'm in my car listening to the story, at which point I told A.Y., I said, A.Y., you don't have to find him. I already found him. Saw him with my own eyes. He's dead. And the last thing is just, when you look at the light of the menorah, realize that everything's created with light. That's all there is. Everything's made of light. I mean, I know you probably you didn't study physics, but if you did study physics, everything's made of light. That's all there is. And when you filter out the light, you create images. And we're right now living inside this filtered light. All there really is is the spiritual world. The physical world is really, really an illusion. And we're here just to live and love and connect with the creator and to do the right things and to bring goodness into this world. We've all learned that we can't be kumbaya, peaceniks like usual. We have to be just as shalom as we always were and always will because you can't take shalom out of Jews. But we're gotta get, But this is a time where we get rid of the kumbaya part and we are just as shalom, but we're shalom with brains. We're shalom with, with truth. And there is something called truth. And all of us got it inside our instincts. If we could just get rid of all the conventional thoughts that were put in our brains, both by our education systems, by the by online world, we've got those instincts. And you've got those instincts. You've got a Torah hard drive. Go for the Torah software. Thank you very much. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.